and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for the Happy Time Murders. Hello and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-hosts, the... I mean, I can't say the puppet to my puppeteer without sounding extremely <laughs> sexual, so... Your partner, your partner in crime, or, or, or your partner in law. I, I guess I'll say the, the Edwards to my Phillips in this case. There you go. <laughs> Julio, the Muppathon rages on. Yes, in the it we've reached the the weirdest stop in the Muppathon. Absolutely. So you structured this, so <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna put this together for you, but uh, it, it appears this was an intentional, you know, detour on the the road trip here on the you know the Muppathon as we call it. Uh, there's still the remnants of the Henson legacy here, but this is clearly not, you know, what we've come to know as the Muppets. So the Happy Time Murders 2018. Julio, why did you feel the inclusion of this was necessary for the Muppethon? So on a practical level, Alex, it is just that the Muppets, they don't really have that many rotten movies as rotten as we know them. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, the going by the tomato meter score, really, you know, Muppet Wizard of Oz is the the only one that's actually rotten. There's some that are, you know, people look down on uh, uh, Muppets from Space, but it's like in the 60s, I want to say. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not actually rotten. And, uh, you know, we like to bend the rules here and there, but that seemed like too much of a stretch. But I remembered that the Happy Time Murders had done terribly when it came out, and it was directed, it might be even written and directed, by Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son. And there is, I mean, they're puppets. They're, and you know, you could, you shouldn't, but you could replace all the, all the puppets in this movie with the actual Muppets. Mm-hmm. And you know, the aesthetic wouldn't be that different. Obviously, it would be really shocking to see, I don't know, Kermit as Phil uh, Phillips. But but you could do it. You know, like the, as far as the what we come to think of of uh, when we think of a Hanson movie. I think it's still there. It's it's kind of like this dark alternate world <laughs> where the Muppets were used for evil or for, you know, adult fare. Uh, and I think that after four, uh, I think four, right? We did the original Muppets, Muppets Wizard of Oz, Muppets Take Manhattan, and uh, Muppets Christmas Carol, if you're on mm-hmm. our patron. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like four Muppet movies. Wholesome, sweet, just all about... 
the good of the world, the good of society. Um, I mean, it was time to to kind of look at the other side and see what happens when uh, when puppets go dark. And then you know, it's not as if we're ending on a, on, on this note because we're coming back to to the bright side uh, with the final episode in the Muppethon mm-hmm. with with uh, uh, fuck, what's it called? Muppets come back. <laughs> Muppets Most Wanted. Muppets Most Wanted, which, you know, it's like maybe after people finish, anybody that watches Happy Time, the Happy Time Murders are like, the Muppets Most Wanted, the Muppets I Want the Most are the original, the ones that don't have sex. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there was a practical side of it. There was a, a, a thematic side of it. And, and here we are. <laughs> you watched it. I watched it. Well, Julio set the table there and explained why we're covering the Happy Time Murders and to quickly uh, speak to it. It is directed by Brian Henson. It is written by Todd Berger, who has also done the screenplays for such classics as Kung Fu Panda, Secrets of the Masters, and uh, uh, The Smurfs, A Christmas Carol. So (laughs) there you go. I guess this was his like branching out. This was his showgirls. This was you know to show <laughs> he could he could do the dark shit too. <laughs> so so Brian Henson is Paul Verhoeven and uh, and this guy is uh, Joe Esterhaz. It's one hundred percent the analogy I was looking for. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Released on August twenty second of twenty eighteen. Happy time murders. Had a budget uh, estimated between forty and forty-seven million, a box office return of under twenty-eight million. So this did not do, well, I think, what they thought it was going to. Uh, if they were going to invest that kind of money in it, um, honestly, we'll get more into that in the real talk portion of this about the time and you know what the goal of this movie was. But mm-hmm. here in uh, our first half of the podcast, if this is your first time listening to the Contrarians, we got to tell you what it is we do. Here on The Contrarians, what we like to do is rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. We'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, uh, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh with that uh, beautiful IP there, that logo they have that they're so proud to bestow upon certain movies that this movie is, it meets the Rotten Tomatoes criteria. And what we'll do with that movie is bring it down to size, talk about maybe some of the acting that's a bit uh, overdone, overstated, talk about some of the plot holes in those films, uh, just general things that seem to be swept under the rug and overly celebrated. Uh, conversely, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated. We usually shoot for about 30% and below, but those nasty green splotches known as rotten. And what we'll do with those is make a case for the film's positive merit. We'll talk about some good acting, some uh, ballsy filmmaking choices, just you know the things that seem to go under-celebrated about those movies that seem to get such a bad reputation. Being that The Happy Time Murders is 23% on Rotten Tomatoes, here in the first portion of the podcast known as Contrarian's Corner, we'll be doing just what I explained. We'll be making a case for maybe why this movie uh, is a little bit better than you're led on to believe by the the old RT. Julio, just like with any of the other episodes that we do here on the, the main feed, if listeners want to know how we really feel about it, they just have to hang around to the second half. That's correct. The second half of the show, the aptly titled Real Talk, 
that's where we tell you how we really feel, regardless of the Rotten Tomatoes score. We're just going to tell you if we like the movie, if we don't like the movie, if we're lying in Turner's Corner, if we're exaggerating. Uh, and many times we don't even know how the other one feels. Uh, Alex had never seen this movie before. I got only one text from him while he was watching it, <laughs> which I'm sure will come up <laughs> in real talk. But I really don't know if he liked it or not, and I don't even know if I've told him how I felt when I watched this movie for the first time. Um, did you screen it? Oh, yeah. I, I screened it, and uh, I'm glad I did, because I think it was gone by the following week. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> gotta watch it while it's still there. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where you and and us, that's where we all find out how we really feel in real talk. 23% Alex, that's lower than Muppets Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it was released on August 24th of 2018, and it was streaming less than three months later. It's typically not a good sign. <laughs> they need a shanti. But at the top of the bill, they had two-time Academy Award nominee, Melissa McCarthy. And behind the camera, the son of the legendary Jim Henson, <laughs> Brian Henson. <laughs> All right, Julio. So before we get into it, though, with... That 23% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, that means, for the most part, it was not good. So what were these critics saying, these accredited Rotten Tomatoes reviewers? What were they saying about the Happy Time murders? All right, here's some some rotten quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. I'm going to start with uh, Richard Propes from uh, TheIndependentCritic.com, who says, takes its raunch so seriously that it's seriously unfunny. Uh, can you take raunch seriously, Alex? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds scary. <laughs> I mean, fucking Bridesmaids. We, you know, we're talking about Melissa McCarthy. That movie got nominated for Best Original Screenplay, so I guess we're just trying to be hip with the times. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Paula Fieri Soler from Times of Malta says, The Muppet stalwarts behind it could not develop this into something sharper than the eye-rollingly predictable sex-obsessed humor. Um, do you think that maybe Paula Fieri Soler would have liked this movie better if it was just directed by somebody who was not uh, a Henson? You know, like, does, does Brian Henson's involvement, his name, does it suddenly create a weird expectation <laughs> that this movie was never going to meet? Uh, yes. <laughs> In a word, yes. Um, James Andrews from One Room with a View says, Lazy and funny and a waste of comedic potential. You'd be better served rewatching any of the Muppets films instead. You could say that about most movies, to be fair. Yes, but if what you're looking for is a raunchy comedy with puppets, which is what this movie was advertised as, why would you think that watching any of the other Muppets movies would work for you? That's the complete opposite. Yeah. I want to see, you know, I don't know, Gonzo and Camilla getting it on. We've, we, that's being a theme of this muppet <laughs> And finally, Sean Collier from Pittsburgh Magazine says, the only audience that might conceivably be amused by the Happy Time murders is too young to buy tickets. Um, I disagree with that for a couple of the jokes that come up later in this movie that are really, really funny. But I get what, he, you know, what his review is trying to uh, get across. Uh, this is not a movie for kids. No. <laughs> I get he's saying that the humor is juvenile, but I think even teenagers can buy their own tickets. Uh, but that's it. Take us into Contrarian's Corner, Alex. 
How'd you watch this, Julio? We got to cover that real quick. Oh, uh, so when I put it on the on the schedule, that was that was the third bullet point. It was free somewhere. Mm. It was, uh, I was like, I'm not gonna make Alex pay for the Happy Time murders. What if he hates it? Mm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, when I, <laughs> I was gonna watch it yesterday, couldn't find it anywhere for free. So yeah, I ended up renting renting it on Amazon Prime. How about you? Uh, YouTube, but it was knocked down from three ninety nine to two ninety nine. So I'm not... standard definition, or did you? Uh... <laughs> no, it was HD. Yeah, you know me. I would. I wouldn't even <laughs> go that far. <laughs> so the Happy Time Murder starts kind of like an old timey noir film, where we get the 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 private detective, the main character here, just kind of you know his his day in the life, his his morning routine, his eye on the city type thing. Bill Beretta plays Phil Phillips. And obviously, uh, accomplished puppeteer in his own right, venturing into the R-rated foray, and <laughs> we get this idea that the society painted in this movie is one of—I I guess they try to do like a thing of humans live in racial harmony, but they, the outcasts, are these puppets that. You know, in years past, had roles like the Muppets or Sesame Street or something, but since have tried to integrate into society, but they're not really widely accepted. Uh, but he's kind of this grizzled vet who we quickly learn used to be a police officer, and he just kind of watches the city and sees the prejudice that these puppets face. And um, it's a pretty interesting spin on you know what trying to make a reality where the Muppets were real people is. Yes, and one that we haven't seen before. I mean, every Muppet movie, uh, it never gets this dark, <laughs> and it never gets this realistic. It makes perfect sense that, uh, like you said, the way that that humans would find racial harmony is by finding another another species to pick on. So <laughs> they basically everybody joined in their hatefulness towards puppets, and therefore all humans are happy now. It's pretty cool because you can basically replace Muppet or Puppet with Minority and the story works. You know, you could just put any oppressed minority in the role of the Muppets here or the Puppets and uh, and the story still plays, which is pretty ingenious. I mean, you would think that's kind of an obvious uh, way to go about it, but clearly not because nobody had done it before. So Phillips is a private investigator. He has his own agency. His secretary is Maya Rudolph. He's got a to me, a pretty good life, but he's obviously down in the dumps and uh, really depressed individual. He is hired by Sandra White, who is a, a puppet also, that uh, she gets a, a letter that says it's going to, it's basically a blackmailing attempt where mm-hmm. someone's going to out her as like a, a sexual deviant if she doesn't pay. $250,000 or something to that effect. <laughs> so that's, you know, the basis. This attractive woman comes in and hires him to help her out in this case. And he, recognizing the P that's used, you know, in the f- fucking ransom style letter uh, as the, the logo from a pornographic magazine that he frequents. So he ends up going to this, like, puppet porn shop. And <laughs> Alex just... <laughs> So from the moment that this this new client of his uh, basically explains that that the problem is that she's going to be blackmailed because she's a sex addict, 
from that moment, how long did you think it was going to take before you saw puppet sex in this movie? I mean, I knew it was coming. And oh, it did. Oh, yeah. It, they they showed their gun in the first <laughs> act, so we knew something was going to come of it. But even then, they subvert it with like I wouldn't even call it a subversion because it's also showing you that what this movie is going to be is this next scene where he goes to this porn shop and you know they're filming porn, <laughs> puppet porn in the background while he's trying to buy stuff and there's all these kinds of sexual accoutrements and. Films playing and whatnot, and it's the, we're talking the first ten minutes of this movie, so this really makes sure to show you what you're in for, which you have to respect to a certain extent, right? But it's also just the 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 kind of thing that you couldn't do live action, and so that's why you're doing it with puppets, right? If if you saw what you see in this porn shop, if you saw it in live action, it would just be too grotesque; it would not be funny. But when you see it done with puppets, like that is, I'm laughing. I can't deny the fact that I'm laughing, even though it's it's pretty out there. You know, it's basically a there's a a puppet. I don't even know what he is, but he's milking a puppet cow, and it's all very sexual. It's very and, graphic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're right. It's like the first ten minutes of Brian Henson going very much out of his way to let you know that yes. It says directed by Brian Henson, but this is nothing like the uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. All right. So cut to the chase here. Phillips is there to investigate, uh, you know, the the letter. He sees a very distinctive logo from a porno magazine, comes in and asks, you know, do you have a list of everyone that's bought this? The guy says yes. So he goes back there. And while he's interrogating this, um, someone comes into the store. We think they're trying to rob the joint. But in fact, they're just there to... Um, there was a bunny, bubble bunny, that Phillips ran across. Someone comes in and just opens up with a shotgun and kills, you know, three or four puppets. Uh, Phillips comes out to just a scene of uh, viscera in his, you know, walk of life. <laughs> Puppet viscera. <laughs> and so it's a, it's an open crime scene now. And lo and behold, the investigating detective that shows up is two-time Academy Award nominee Melissa McCarthy. Uh, it's clear from the the jump, Edwards, uh, Detective Edwards. She knows Phillips. Uh, they don't unveil right away that they used to be partners, but it's clear something's there. And then I just have an all caps Stanley because <laughs> Leslie David Baker is Lieutenant Banning uh, Stanley from the Office. And who's that black Santa for? I don't care. I know Santa ain't black. I could care less. I want Christmas. Just give me plain baby Jesus lying in a manger Christmas. Had you ever seen him in anything besides The Office? No. And hearing him like say fuck and goddamn, and it was very off-putting. Kudos to Brian Henson for just thinking outside the box when he's casting. So at first they chalked this up to coincidence that Phillips was there. He explains he was investigating on a case and, you know, he didn't see anything, so he's free to go. Um, we learn that... This Bubble Bunny, in addition to Phillips' brother Larry, were part of the Happy Time Gang, which was like a, a television show. It's basically pitched like it was the Muppets or Sesame Street. You know, in a bygone era, they were these <laughs> beloved puppets that were on television. It was a, um, a, a gang of puppets, and then Elizabeth Banks was the, the human actress on it. And <laughs> so what happens next, though, is Larry, Phillips' brother is set up and killed also. Uh, 
you know, they remind you not to take it too seriously because basically just a pack of wild dogs is sicked on him and they rip him apart. Uh, but this is where, you know, our movie becomes clear that we have a, I guess it's not a serial killer yet. I think you have to hit three for it to be that. But Phillips is onto it and he understands that someone's targeting the Happy Time gang. And this is explained pretty blatantly to the audience at home. Uh, so, of course, when Phil's brother dies, he is in a bathtub with a woman, like a human woman. Was that the first time that, that you kind of like crossed your mind that relationships between Muppets, or between puppets and humans were possible in this world? <laughs> Um, no, because we had Kermit and um, Jenny, Jenny, in Muppets Take Manhattan. Very platonic, though. <laughs> it was, but if you watch that movie, it doesn't cross your mind that maybe like a Muppet and a human couldn't get it on. And I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and then Brian Hansler is here to tell you, yes, you're right, and I'm going to show you. In fact. Uh, in, in graphic detail, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. That that was, uh, I guess you know, the, the first time I watched that this movie, I hadn't seen Muppet Stigma I hadn't in a long time, so it was kind of. I remember thinking that this was the pivotal scene, that that uh, hot tub scene. It's like, oh, okay, so we're crossing all boundaries here. It's just uh, he. He's a puppet that he's worshipped. He, he's enough of a celebrity that he can hook up with with a woman, uh, like a human woman, and it's, you know, it's cool. Because, you know, even though Muppets or puppets are generally looked as inferior, I guess once you reach a certain level of celebrity, you can you can get away with anything. So uh, it just makes for such a complex world. Like the world building in this movie is just amazing. It's like off the charts. And I think that one of the reasons it, it bombed is because unfortunately the the raunchy aspect maybe overshadows how much thought there was in, in, in just creating this this world where everything happens. And I'm not saying that I would like less raunch because I think the raunch is also something that it's very much part of this, this movie. But uh, I think it's a shame that audiences couldn't see past that in order to appreciate everything else that was going on. So Phillips begins to think there's a pattern here already of members of the Happy Time gang getting killed. And this subsequently ends up with him and Edwards having to work together again. Uh, we find out that they were partners previously. We don't really know what went awry quite yet, but we know that they have a past relationship. We get a, I guess you would call it a cameo. We get a scene featuring Michael McDonald, not the singer nor the legendary kickboxer, but the... <laughs> The actor of Mad TV fame is Stuart, where he was the executive that produced the Happy Time Gang. Yeah, I think he was the CEO of Puppet Television Network. And this scene is just kind of like what you're talking about earlier of, you know, supplant any oppressed minority in place of puppets in this movie. And just the way he talks down and disparagingly about puppets is mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty wild. To the point where Phillips just gets pissed off and whips like this brass ball at his head, <laughs> nearly kills him. Uh, <laughs> but they're basically looking for answers at this point of, I think, the locations of the other ones. Well, first they want to see who benefits, I think. if uh, Yes, yes, yes. Like yes. as far as the contracts go, like who benefits if the other two die? Uh, the, the two that have died so far. Uh, so this guy, I didn't know who he was. Like I... I 
I guess I'm not a Matt TV aficionado like you are. So, do uh, do not insult me like that. I am not either, but <laughs> it existed during my childhood. And you don't remember Stuart? Was- no, but I in the vein of you know this sort of alternate Muppet movie, I figured that he was a name just because you know. Who you know you have, and these are kind of more like extend more than extended cameos, but you know you have Maya Rudolph, Elizabeth Banks, and I guess this guy now, and uh, Stanley from The Office. You're firing me over three words. Yes. Have you lost your mind? Do you think I'm gonna let you do this to me? Actors that, to one degree or another, are kind of bigger than the parts they're given here, but they're doing it because obviously they want to be part of. Uh, a Jim Henson movie or a Brian Henson movie in this case. So, uh, yeah, I just assumed that that guy was some sort of celebrity that I just didn't recognize. Whatever the case, it's a scene that leads them into agreeing to work together again. Like I mentioned, they finally like agree that they need to figure this out. And so they need to track down the remaining cast because they think something, you know, obviously bad is going on here. So they track down uh, Lyle is the next member from the cast, and he's like in this underground puppet poker ring slash drug den, and they show up, and it's just you know the levels of depravity that you think only humans can go to, but <laughs> Brian Henson's going to show you. Oh no, puppets <laughs> can get just as nasty. Don't you worry. I thought it was pretty cool that this is. I mean, by now we're we we can figure out what the movie's going to be like, right? Uh, these two cops, or were an ex-cop and a cop, that don't like each other. They have a past, but now they're forced to work together to unravel this this mystery. And of course, the stakes are personal because one of the victims is uh, Phil's brother, and there's there's like a past. You know, there's a lot of backstory and all that stuff. And what I found fascinating is that you don't usually see this type this this type of scenario where both cops are loose cannons. You know what I mean? Like, you usually have somebody, one of them is... That's why it's called good cop, bad cop. Exactly. You know, it's like, one is Riggs, the other one is Mortal. But here, they're both Riggs. Like, at different times, but they they basically, they're both crazy. They're both unpredictable. They're wild cards. And it makes it very unpredictable, because you never know in any given scene which one is going to be the voice of reason, and which one's going to be the one that goes off. Uh, Melissa McCarthy reveals we, we find out that she has this serious addiction to sugar just <laughs> mm-hmm. which makes her again a wild card and of course phil well, is pretty impulsive you know the we find out here in the scene that she actually has a puppet liver uh we find out later why that became necessary but mm-hmm. she has a puppet organ in her which allows her to partake in the drugs and I guess nourishment that puppets do because they line up basically the equivalent of like puppet cocaine and they, you know, say that no human could handle it. It would send them into an immediate diabetic coma. And, you know, she goes off on it and, you know, she's had a lot of comparisons over the years to like a female Chris Farley. And I think this scene really lets her get to flex and shine in that aspect where she just goes, you know, bonkers and jumping all over the place, really erratic motions. And uh, I think this is what, if you were watching this movie, this is what you came for is wacky Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, but I also think that I've never seen her kick this much ass. And and she's been in movies where she actually, you know, was supposed to be. They were more action packed than this. Like I know I've seen her in that movie she has with uh, Sandra Bullock. 
the where, heat w- the heat where again she's the the loose cannon and, and uh Sandra Bullock is the square one right and then there's uh that movie I think it's called Spy with Jason Statham and Jude Law where Melissa McCarthy is the the square one there. She's not the loose cannon. And they're both like fine movies and there's action set pieces, but she's never, she never looks like somebody that could just really hold her own as far as physical action goes. And in this movie, she does. Like she faces off, I guess, an entire room of uh, <laughs> drug addict puppets that are armed and she beats the shit out of them, which is pretty inspiring. I, I haven't seen, um, Beverly Hills Ninja, but I don't know if Chris Farley ever did anything like that. <laughs> and yeah, like you have to pay closer attention to it throughout it, but there's things like the only thing she drinks is maple syrup and, you know, the food she eats is all highly sugary shit. So this is kind of the the introduction to that. Uh, but again, you kind of have to pay attention to it to make sense of it. She's part puppet. And that's how she kind of wows the people here. But like you said, she starts kicking ass because one of the puppets is consistently calling all the women their bitch. So she just, you know, beats the shit out of them to make a point. Unfortunately, to be fair, it's a dog. So <laughs> it's mm. part of his vocabulary. Unfortunately, the entire reason they came there, they fail at. Because Phillips is outside with Lyle. Uh, car pulls up and he's like, well, who's that? Is, which one of your friends is that? And he walks out to check on it and he gets shot in a drive-by fashion. The car pulls away. So the third of the Happy Time gang is dead. So, so we've had a, a few a few set pieces by now in the, in this movie. And I think it's funny because I guess we just kind of start taking things for granted. A few episodes ago, we were just blown away by Kermit riding a bicycle. And in this movie, we have a full-on shootout. Oh, it <laughs> is a... Uh, a new age it is a new day yes it is with these guys <laughs> yeah i mean by now it's just the i've never seen the muppets be into such an elaborate be part of such an elaborate set piece in here it's just it just happens every five minutes it's just like what else are we gonna see phil do he drives a car he shoots a gun he gets into fights i mean i love the muppets but this guy he's way above anything they've we've, that we've ever seen them perform physically so and it's all you know it, it's not cgi it's not digital it's all practical effects did you feel kind of like the 3d in avatar that some point you just got used to it or were you in a constant state of awe when you were watching this movie so there's a couple just i've watched too many movies in my life there's a couple sequences where i could tell it was cg but a lot of the walking and you know even the full body shots you see in the the credits, how they pulled mm-hmm. it off, and it's fucking remarkable. And you got to appreciate, you got to have respect also for Brian Henson sticking to the family guns, so to speak. He could have easily just done CGI shit, but made a point to have actual practical effects and real puppets in this with real puppeteers, and it makes this memorable. Jim Henson was was looking down from heaven and just. Smiling, <laughs> nodding, giving him a thumbs up. Yeah, this was his vision. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Son, you're finally you finally managed to find your path. Speaking of Jim Henson's vision, we get puppet sex now. Uh <laughs> back at Phyllis's office, Sandra White comes to check in with him uh, on the status of her case, and they end up just going to town on each other and <laughs> 
I mean, what do you what do you have to say about it, Julio? It's it's puppet sex. It is puppet sex, but it's beyond that. I mean, I guess I was gonna say it's very memorable sex. How many sex scenes have you watched in your life, Alex, so far? And how many of them can you actually recall as as memorable as something that's like, oh, well, I haven't seen this before, and I'm going to remember this for the rest of my existence. And you know, I, I can think of a few. Uh, Probably the last time that a sex scene blew my mind this way was uh, Team America. And I think this one's better because <laughs> Team America becomes too ridiculous to to even like you know feel like you're watching sex. Uh, and of course, if you haven't watched Team America, I'm pretty sure you can YouTube the sex scene in particular. <laughs> it just becomes insane, right? The Maybe positions there. I don't know if it's going to be on YouTube. Uh, you know, I'm sure you can like click on like, yes, I'm old enough to watch it. Uh, But anyway, this one, it feels as outrageous as it is. I never detached from it to the point of thinking, oh, I'm just watching puppets. Like, this isn't real. You know what I mean? Like, with Team America, because it's just, it's more outrageous. It's like, ah, ha, ha. Part of the joke in Team America is that you're watching puppets. The the whole thing is a puppet show. But here in in, uh, Happy Time Murders... They actually sell them to you as characters. The fact that they're puppets has nothing to do with uh, with the gag. You know what what they make them do is funny, but the, their existence as puppets has nothing to do with the with the comedy. And so, it's just I don't know. I mean, am I am I correct in assuming that you're not going to forget this sex scene anytime soon? Uh, definitely not. It, it's whether you want it to or not, it's going to be seared into your brain. Yeah, and again, it's just the kind of thing that you. I don't think you could do with in live action, and if you did, it would not have the same effect. You, I think that you would just you'd be more likely to be grossed out. But you see it with puppets, and it just it just walks that line where it's funny. It's probably the hardest I've laughed while watching this movie because I couldn't believe how how far they were taking it. During said sex scene, though, we've got our FBI agent coming in, who's a uh... Jeff Winger. Yeah, Jeff Winger to interrogate the case. It's Special Agent Campbell, Joel McHale. He was on set for, what, five hours? <laughs> but he knew all his lines. Oh, he did. He went prepared. It was so weird seeing him and Stanley together. Just like for a moment, I was like, God damn, this was in college, my Thursday night lineup. This was two of the main players at that time. Uh, Where's Leslie Nope? No shit. I mean, the opportunity was right there. Couldn't afford it, though, with the $15 million they paid Melissa McCarthy for this. <laughs> so at long last, the puppet sex scene comes to a, a a bitter end, a sour end. I don't know. An explosive end. Explosive end. Afterwards, you know, the hunt continues for Phillips as he goes on to track down members of the Happy Time gang. This is where we get Elizabeth Banks. And at this point in the movie, I thought it seemed obvious that Elizabeth Banks was going to be the killer. Uh, but... That becomes, it becomes evident that that's not necessarily the case. He goes and visits her. She's a stripper now. Uh, we find out they had a past love, and uh, it seems like the spark is kind of lit again. Don't they kiss goodnight at the end of their rendezvous? Yeah, uh, but I think that's implied as platonic. So I guess she was the the Jenny to his Kermit. Oh, okay. No, they talked about being in love at one point. I thought, but not not about being intimate. I I felt like it was just, I guess you know what 
I, I feel like if the movie had wanted us to know for sure that they'd had sex, we would have seen it. <laughs> that's a, that's a good doesn't point. Pull its punches. No, this movie, yeah, is not nothing. Nothing in this movie is subtle, so I, I agree with that point. Uh, for those of you wrestling fans listening to this, Elizabeth Banks, her first appearance, I thought she was in Dakota Kai cosplay. There's a wrestler who basically dresses almost the same with the same pink style hairdo so it was it tickled me and probably no one else but anyway so across town while phillips is reconnecting with elizabeth banks jenny uh, edwards is looking for goofer who's another member of the happy time gang so she's going through this real seedy part of town that has like prostitutes and drug dealers all portrayed by puppets. The line I wrote down here that was like revolting to me is one of the <laughs> female prostitute puppets said, Hey baby, you want some rotten cotton that <laughs> that is horrifying. <laughs> definitely does its job though. <laughs> really sells you on the, the atmosphere. Uh, I actually, I put that on, on Twitter when I said that I was watching the movie. That was the GIF that I found. Worth a thousand words. <laughs> so she locates Goofer and he's who who's Goofer supposed to be in the, the Muppets universe in your mind? Like who's he the the B Fozzie. version of? I was thinking either Fozzie or Gonzo. I think Fozzie because he seemed sillier. Well yeah, because I think the bunny would be Gonzo. Do you think? No, the bunny would be the bunny. Bean bunny. That's that's who it's supposed to be. He looks exactly like it. And that's a Muppet? Yeah, Bean Bunny. I, t- I was talking about on... Um, I can't remember if we were recording when we talked about this, but Bean Bunny is like the central character of the Muppets 3D attraction at movie studios. And he's the, oh, wait, he, the bunny uh, in the Christmas Carol. That, yes, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah it, it did come up then. Okay, I did not recognize him. I didn't make that connection. Uh, that's too small a character <laughs> to bring up at the Happy Time Murders, though. I mean, I guess it's, it's really. I mean, honestly, this is not this is not the right way to approach it because if you were to recast or, or you know draw parallels, you have to do it among all the characters, not just the Happy Time Gang. You know what I mean? Like Kermit wouldn't be in the Happy Time Gang. Kermit would be Phil if you were to make this movie with yeah. puppets. Yeah, that's true. And then the guy that gets shot at the underground club, Rolf? Lyle? Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe. That's the thing, though. There's no like equivalent for like Miss Piggy or anything in this. Unless, you know, you said it was... No, well, okay. So in the in the Muppet version of this, Miss Piggy would be playing Sandra White. Yeah, you could see that. No, Rolf and- would be like... Um, is it Lenny? The guy who ran the porn shop? That would be Rolf. Yes. <laughs> So, and then the the puppets that were making the porno would be Gonzo and Camilla. Oh God, that's so horrific. <laughs> or um, Janice and Doctor Teeth. Doctor Teeth. <laughs> Fuck, we're going to places I did not want to with this. <laughs> Goofer's down bad though. He's addicted to whatever that puppet equivalent of cocaine is. Again, just. It's not something you can relate to because, you know, this isn't like a life we live, but it's just so fucking gross. Melissa McCarthy goes and goes for a gummer, takes some of the, the coke off the 
uh, mirror and rubs on her teeth and like kind of dry heaves in this other homeless puppet's like, I peed on that mirror. And she's like, you need to get yourself checked out because that is salty. <laughs> so fucking gross. <laughs> it's the end of the night for Phillips and Jenny, though. This is where they kiss goodnight. <laughs> she gets in her car and he starts a voiceover of like, after seeing Jenny, uh, it made me realize, you know, that maybe I'm still a human and I have a beating. And it gets cut off by her car exploding. I lost my fucking mind laughing at this part, dude. <laughs> it's so perfect because it's like, you know, the character of Phillips momentarily forgets that he's investigating a series of homicides because he's his heart's warmed by reconnecting with like a former lover. And it's he doesn't even have three seconds to reflect on it because the car blows up. I thought, from a timing perspective, I thought this was fucking phenomenal. Uh, like, legitimately one of my favorite moments in the movie from a comedic standpoint. Yeah, I think it helps a lot that that Elizabeth Banks is just such a uh, versatile actress. I think uh, she's a really good sport in this too because her character is so inconsequential, but it's like. It adds some weight to it because she's Elizabeth Banks, but she's mm-hmm. kind of just like she's a stripper that dies. That's it. But that's what she does in in so many movies. Remember uh, when we did uh, Fred Claus, and yeah. she's just there to be the the hot elf that uh, John Michael Higgins has a has a crush on, and it's like that's there. You know, she she does it and she knocks it out of the park and she makes it special because it's Elizabeth Banks. And same thing here. I mean, she's just. Uh, I think that. She brings with her like this element of uh, trustworthiness. So when I see her on screen, I just trust that. Oh yeah, I-, I believe her. You know, I'm like she. She made me believe that she was in love with this guy, with Phil. She was in love with the puppet, and not everybody can do that. So that that was that definitely helps you, and it works both ways because I also feel Phil's pain <laughs> when when she's blown up. I can I can totally get why he loses his shit. Again, that's the kind of thing that I think that gets lost in the conversation whenever this movie comes up because everybody remembers the, you know, the sex scene. Which, to be fair, we spent you know several minutes talking about it because it is worth talking about, but it's not the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Phillips heads to Edward's apartment, finds her passed out on a, a sugar binge or whatnot, so he goes to basically clean her apartment for, her, you know, without hosting an intervention. Basically, empties out all her supplies of. Uh, I guess the equivalent of narcotics for people with uh, Muppet organs and then falls asleep. He sees a picture of them from back in the day, falls asleep, and we get more of their backstory as they were partners together. There's a situation where a puppet had uh, Edwards, Melissa McCarthy held at gunpoint. Phillips tries to take the shot. Unfortunately, the shot misses. It ricochets off and kills a civilian. Uh, in the skirmish, Melissa McCarthy gets shot. That's why she needs a liver transplant. She's able to shoot the puppet as he tries to flee, and it becomes this whole thing of he couldn't shoot a puppet. He didn't want to protect his human counterpart, that type of thing, and that's what led him to getting discharged off the the force. Um, it's you temporarily forget this is like a comedy with Muppets in it because it's <laughs> yep. this really traumatic scene of an innocent man dying, and you know a man struggling with. Uh, his inner belief in himself and also Melissa McCarthy prevailing as a police officer in the moment, despite being wounded, able to fend off the criminal. It's it's the type of thing. If you saw it and like a Scorsese movie, like, God damn, that's powerful. <laughs> Give him the Oscar. 
<laughs> but also, it's such a good explanation to why uh, Melissa McCarthy kind of hates him. Uh, because at first, before you get to this flashback, you just kind of think that she is prejudiced against him because, like so many of the humans we see in this movie, she she just uh, she just hates puppets. She just doesn't. She thinks of them as lower a lower class. And uh, but it turns out that she's not racist. It's just that because of this incident, you know, she's shot and there's nobody to help her, and so Phil ends up taking her into a puppet hospital and so they replace in order to save her life they have to replace her liver with a puppet liver so that's why she hates him because you could infer that her substance abuse problems began there because she had a puppet organ and that suddenly makes the grudge that she holds against him so much more interesting and more relatable in a way so that's cool. And then, you know, you see them, you know, you see all this past that they've had. And then at the same time, you've noticed that they've kind of slowly, they're slowly burying the hatchet in present day because they're they're learning to work together again and they're joking around. You know, he's cleaned her apartment and she notices and she, she starts to see him as her partner again. Yeah, it seems like from a platonic working perspective, they're meant for each other. Yeah, it, it's it's really good. Uh, chemistry between a woman and a puppet which uh, that doesn't always work out uh now did you get uh roger rabbit vibes at any point during this movie early on maybe even because uh, i think it's a pretty easy comparison but at the same time i i think that this movie is superior because uh roger rabbit and I like the movie, but at the end, uh, maybe because of its limitations, because it's a kid's movie, it doesn't really do much for the, the noir genre. You know, the golden age of uh, of noir was back, you know, in the, what, the 50s, you know, Bogart and black and white. And I, I think that that's when the genre kind of like felt like it was at home. And ever since then, it it's more like it's harder to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And Who Framed Roger Rabbit? could have revitalized noir but instead what it did was because it was a kids movie it was more of a focus on the cartoons and really what happened is it sort of like launched a career a brief career for roger rabbit himself but not for the genre you know it's like oh well the cool cartoon from that movie about the detective is the one that you know we're gonna remember that rabbit but uh it's not like bob hoskins had a follow-up movie where he was investigating another case in this world or anything, right? And I think that's because the, the in order for noir to really hit you, it has to be adult. It has to be an adult story told in an adult way, which is what this movie does, even though half the cast is puppets. And you need somebody like Melissa McCarthy to to, you know, to pull that off because she's funny, but she's rough. She can she can handle the action. She can handle the the R rated language, and and she can definitely handle the comedy. So, as much as I love Bob Hoskins, I think that Melissa McCarthy makes for a better counterpart here to uh, the non human part of the of the investigation of the movie. And then uh, you know Roger Rabbit, he's he's fine. I mean he's he was never really somebody a, a character that I found very appealing. It's just basically a, a Bugs Bunny knockoff. Whereas Phil, I've never seen anybody like him. So overall, it's just a great combination. Goofer washes up on the shore. Uh, you know, they're in L.A., so the pier 
he washes up. And at this point, Phillips is a top suspect. Joe McHale, the representative from the FBI, uh, Special Agent Campbell, he's convinced that Phillips is the main suspect. And at this point, even uh, Stanley, Lieutenant Banner, <laughs> Lieutenant Banning is thinking that's the case as well. Have you lost your mind? Get off my property before I call the police. So Edwards is almost under a microscope at this point, too. They're saying, you know, if you hear from Phillips, you need to let us know because we believe he's the one that's doing this, uh, despite her objections of saying, you know, I don't believe he's the one who's doing it. Uh, so they work together to go and track down the remaining two living members of the uh, Happy Time gang who are Ezra and Kara. They kind of have to go out into the country. There are these cousins that ended up getting married, so they show up there and they find these morbidly deformed, inbred puppet children. Again, you can't do this in live action. They wouldn't let you get away with it. They would not, absolutely. So Phillips locates Ezra and Kara, and they he basically locates their decapitated heads and... Uh, the killer shows up, pushes him over, and heads out, and they go for the door, Phillips and Edwards, and they're confronted by uh, Agent Campbell and the rest of the LAPD. And this is where the best line of the whole movie comes up, Julio, as <laughs> <laughs> Melissa McCarthy's out there. She's got her gun, and they tell Phillips to drop his weapon and... Joel McHale tells her to drop her weapon, and she does. And he says, "Drop, drop your weapon again." He's like repeating it. She says, "Does someone want to get some help for Stevie Ray Vaughan over here? Because he's clearly fucking blind." It's like Stevie Ray Vaughan's not blind. That that shit was truly hilarious. Really, really fucking good stuff. Really funny. How how weird is it to to see Joel McHale? playing something playing a character so serious so like humorless do um, you like like me like I, I only know him from uh mainly from community and i know he was in uh was it talk soup that he was on before yeah that's where i knew him from before community was he hosted the soup on e yeah yeah, yeah. but that's his persona it's just this kind of like laid back smart ass guy that low-key makes fun of people and then here he's an FBI agent that just never smiles. It's always like super intense, and it was cool, uh, you know, getting to see a different side of him. Like you said, he's it's not like he has a lot of screen time, but I think that he he made an impression. So they're both apprehended, taken back to the precinct. There's an interrogation going on with Miss Sandra White, where she reveals that uh, Phillips did all the killings. It's revealed that she and Jenny were married. And that he killed Jenny and the rest of them to keep Sandra all for himself. And, you know, it's obviously a frame job. That's what he keeps trying to tell Stanley. And Stanley will hear none of it. Did I stutter? So uh, Melissa McCarthy Edwards is suspended from duty uh, while Phil is basically uh, uh, detained, and, you know, held in custody until they figure out what's going on. Uh, we, get a, we get a homage to the basic instinct. Uh, interrogation scene we do uh, (laughs) the puppet uncrosses and crosses her legs and has purple pubic hair because why not it it actually pays off (laughs) it does it it has plot significance which is more than you can say for the the sharon stone scene and basic instinct we also get an homage to bridesmaids as edwards is placed on leave and she leaves the office and 
points at one of the men in the <laughs> precinct and says, Donnie, I, I wish I would have fucked you. And it's her uh, her shoot husband, but also the guy from the air marshal from <laughs> Bridesmaids. Did you catch that? Yes. I I don't think I knew it was her husband the first time I watched the movie, but now I, I did. And it just caused me, it, it brought me a lot of joy. Like if you were, you know, if you were a star, like Melissa McCarthy, wouldn't you bring your own husband to like to play a small part? Yeah, if you got that kind of energy, you're making fifteen million dollars on a movie. Fuck yeah, be like, hey, you're gonna put my husband in this scene. Just one line. I just need him to <laughs> just need him for one joke. Just one button to the scene where I'm getting fired. I wholeheartedly believe that. If I was ever in a movie where I had any positional leverage, I would say, hey, I've got this Peruvian guy that you're going to put in this movie. (laughs) So in another homage to Bridesmaids, Maya Rudolph and Melissa McCarthy team up as Maya Rudolph, who plays Bubbles, who's Phil's secretary, as we mentioned earlier, uh, knows that this is all wrong. So they end up going to Sanders' home. They break in together and they they discover... uh, Joe DeBola, is that the character in Seinfeld who's obsessed with Elaine that has all the pictures of her all over the wall? And that's kind of what they find here in Sanders' home is all the pictures of the Happy Time people and a big, very incriminating picture of Phil that says die on it. And we learn here that she was the the daughter of the man that he uh, accidentally killed years ago. How did they figure that out, Alex? The purple pubic hair, Julio, you called it. <laughs> there was purpose for this beaver shot in this movie, this puppet <laughs> vagina shot. By the way, later in the movie, uh, they describe puppet vaginas as being velvety, therefore <laughs> being better than human vaginas. Terrifying. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I How telling is it that Maya Rudolph gets to do more uh, in this movie than in all the PTA movies that she's been in <laughs> combined. Well, also how fucking hot she is in this. Like, he doesn't want to show off how hot his wife is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have to let Brian Hansen do it. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, you know, she'll get her moment in the sun somewhere down the line. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but she's like a Swiss Army woman, too. She's able to break into all these rooms, and uh, she has like this lock pick she has a line of uh melissa mccarthy's like did you break into my apartment she's like yeah it just took like 90 seconds i just kind of had to jingle the lock and you know make it happen so they figure out what's going on and get out of there just in time because uh, sandra had rigged the apartment to blow edwards is able to free uh phillips from the precinct she shoots him in the arm and on the way to the hospital commandeers the ambulance so at this point, they know that Sanders trying to get away. So they go to the airport, right? Yes, because uh, uh, Maya Rudolph, who, again, just proves to be incredibly resourceful. She's figured out that she she's booked, that Sandra has booked a, a private flight. and they're gonna- Yeah, they would have been fucked without her character because she figures out <laughs> everything for them. <laughs> yes. I, I don't think that that's a, that's a trope of uh, noir movies. It's a welcome uh, update i think of the genre you know because back then in the 50s and whatever it's just a, you know bogart was not going to take advice from his receptionist if he even had a receptionist he was just you know it was him on his own you're hysterical sweetheart calm down <laughs> yes <laughs> uh here the the relationship between phil and maya rudolph it's actually 
pretty sweet. It, it, and even it pays off at the end. Uh, but just the fact that he uh, he seems to trust her uh, to just basically take care of stuff, which is why she knows so much. And she also she has affection for him, which is why she goes to bat for him even when he's being charged with being a murderer. So it's it's actually a pretty uh, it's a pretty cool relationship that kind of gets lost in the background because the main focus is the relationship between uh, Melissa McCarthy and Phil, which is also very important, obviously. Yeah, they get to the airport and he handcuffs Melissa McCarthy to the steering wheel because he's like, "I'm gonna, I need to sit, figure this out on my own. I need to solve this on my own." And goes in and confronts Sandra. Who says, you know, he apologizes. He says, I've lived with the guilt of killing your dad, you know, every day of my life. And she's like, you know, tough shit. Uh, <laughs> and then reveals that actually she hadn't killed Elizabeth Banks. Well, far more annoyingly, she says, I did this. I started doing this to hurt you, but then I realized I enjoy killing people and I'm good at it. And she says, Manson level good, which I feel the need <laughs> to remind people. On you know record, Charles Manson never killed anybody. He just convinced other people to do it. That's like one of the morbid things about me. Of like, I always feel the need to correct people when they call Charles Manson a serial killer. I'm like Charles Manson didn't actually kill anybody. Actually, <laughs> what a yeah, what a weird thing to be a dickhead about. The pretentious psychopath. Actually, you know, take my glasses off. <laughs> he didn't kill anybody. <laughs> maybe Brian Henson is ahead of you and this was his way of implying that that she's uh, dumb <laughs> or that she like Manson she hadn't killed anybody she had gotten Elizabeth Banks to do it for her yeah because then Elizabeth Banks shows up with her blonde wig and uh, she's not around for long <laughs> she has a few lines explaining you know why they did it and then she gets wiped out pretty quick uh Meanwhile, though, Sanders' henchman commandeer Phillips. They're going to throw him into the airplane propeller. Melissa McCarthy and her Herculean coked-out strength is able to rip off the steering wheel. <laughs> Comes beats the shit out of those guys and rescues Phillips. And uh, ends up chasing after Sandra. Sandra gets her at gunpoint. And, you know, it's just like 12 years prior. Mm-hmm. You know, what is Phillips going to do? But in this case, he's actually able to conquer his fear and pull it off. He's able to – He it's pretty easy, too. He shoots Sandra <laughs> right between the eyes. So this is something that I, I, I'll i give the movie a lot of credit for. And hopefully you had the same experience, but maybe not. You would think that uh, – because you said that, that you thought, you assumed halfway through the movie that it was Elizabeth Banks that was the killer, right? But uh-huh. based on the flashback, I always assumed that – the climax was going to involve Phil shooting a puppet, right? Because that was the whole thing. They established that he had lost all credibility because he missed that shot and they thought that uh, he had missed the shot on purpose because he can't shoot a puppet. And so I was thinking, okay, well, the climax is going to involve him shooting a puppet and kind of like proving everybody wrong. I remember thinking that, but then I got so engrossed in the movie that I really, it never even crossed my mind that, oh, well, you know how many how many live puppets do we have left that would be the killer? You know what I mean? Like so, I I was just taken for a ride. I was like, oh, when it, when it finally happened, I just remembered. Oh, that's right. This is what was supposed to happen. I already figured this shit out. I don't know, forty minutes ago, but but then the movie's so good that I I got sidetracked. Did you anticipate that? Did you think that the the climax of the movie was going to be basically a a redo of the flashback? 
but in present day? I mean, I knew it was going to come back up at some point, but I didn't realize the stakes were going to be so high. So they do a good job of like kind of setting the table, but then at the same time, not necessarily pulling a switcheroo on you, but just like I said, making the stakes really high when it mattered. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, it's a pretty good shot. He he kind of does the the wanted curve bullet thing. Oh, stop it! <laughs> so the case has been solved. The reunions of Edwards and Phillips is back underway, and I didn't quite catch how, but Stanley explains that like through this we've been able to reinstate you to the force. So he gives him his badge back. Well, he says that they uh, they either abolished or they put in a, a petition to abolish the. I think they call it. He calls it the Phillips Bill, which is pretty fucked up that they would name the bill that banned puppets from being cops. <laughs> they would name it after him, <laughs> and then tell him it's okay again. Yeah, <laughs> you can come back. It was our bad, but that's all right. I mean, th- th- we deserve the happy ending. And also, we deserve probably, in my opinion, the third best joke in the movie of when Agent Campbell, Joel McHale, comes peeling up to the crime scene and he's blasting Call Me Maybe from his car. (laughs) That, you know, real talk, Contrarian's Corner, whatever, like real Alex insight to me. A joke that is, if you nail it, will always work for me is the character pulling up listening to a song that he shouldn't be like very (laughs) very proudly and very loudly um the office when michael pulls up listening to lady gaga and says it's britney bitch that's a classic uh also there's (laughs) an eastbound there's a part where kenny pulls up to some i can't remember what it is he pulls up to some some function and the windows are up on his car, but he's blaring the music so loud you can hear it muffled from the outside. And he's listening to the theme from the Lost Boys. Like that type of shit <laughs> will always work on me. So this part here where Joel McHale pulled up and it was right in the chorus. So this is crazy. And then it shuts off. <laughs> Lost it. <laughs> For all the, the things. Movie doesn't, the movie doesn't underline it or anything. It's just. No. It yeah, just happens. It stands alone. For all the things we'll get into here shortly about what's wrong with this movie there were several genuine big belly laughs provided and that was one of them and of course joel McHale's just body language of how serious he is getting out it, it, it made it a lot funnier yeah yeah uh so so happy ending including a potential uh, romantic relationship between phil and bubbles maya rudolph yes because he asked her to go out on a date with him because pt anderson's too much of a fucking coward to do it on film <laughs> You know, it's a shame that this movie failed uh, because they were already setting up a pretty interesting scenario in for the sequel, where you can have <laughs> Phil dating Bubbles while he you know investigates another case. Yeah, and, where John uh, Hamm shows up and reveals himself to be the bad guy for the next one, Mister Happy Time. <laughs> and then Julio, we go. In my opinion probably the best part of the movie uh the the credits where we get Mm -hmm. just this montage of the behind the scenes and the making of set to i want candy who who did that song bow wow wow from 1982 makes sense because the puppets like sugar oh yeah yeah it's all perfect and it's all the puppets singing along to it and like i said it's mixed in it's like this music video that's interspersed with clips of behind the scenes and, you know, uh, already bleeding into real talk a little bit here. This uh, this movie looks like it was a lot of fun to make. 
the the end product of this we we may have some questionable things to say about it but like watching this montage here is like man I bet this was really fun to make. And if you're Melissa McCarthy and you made $15 million off this, then yeah, that it's probably a good time doing that. You call it a win. You, yeah. You chalked it up in the win column. I hope that the guy that, uh, the puppeteer that played Phil, I hope that he got some pretty good money. Maybe not 15 million, but you know, enough that he, I hope that he wasn't counting on the franchise to put his kids to college or something. You know, we, hopefully he, he took the payment up front. He didn't have to pay for food while on set. <laughs> Julio, this is um, a fascinating exercise in filmmaking, and uh, it's not good. <laughs> really? <laughs> I assume we might be able to get to the root of this a bit more, why this doesn't have more of a legacy of some of the more historically bad movies we've done uh, but that's why i think the next portion of this podcast exists julio so uh are you ready to move it along to real talk yes let's move it along to real talk detective phillips i i used to be not anymore i'm a pi now how can i help you ms white sandra white i received this in the mail today Pay us 350000 by Saturday or we reveal your secret. Hmm. What's your secret? Well, despite my bookish appearance, I'm a sexual Ima. What's that? It means if I'm a get next to it, I'm a gonna fuck it. Come again? Exactly. And again. And again. And again. Hmm. I see. And we are back, but before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on our patron feed, and we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. It is still January, Alex, so uh, what we said in the last episode still holds. QVRs are going to be Ferdinand, the animated movie featuring the voice of John Cena, for me. And Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, featuring Dwayne The Rock Johnson for you. That's uh, keeping in theme with our Rock Cena uh, exclusive patron event. Oh, uh, yeah. Additionally, we're going to have the second installment of said event, which follows, I guess, the announcement that The Rock was challenging John Cena. Yeah, uh, it, it'll follow The Rock's comeback and basically laying down the challenge to John Cena. And again, I think I kind of explained this on the last episode, but the historical significance of it was the night after WrestleMania 27, The Rock challenged John Cena to the main event of WrestleMania 28, in effect, giving an entire year between the two, which is something that was not attempted before and has not since and absolutely will never be attempted again. And so... (laughs) In part two, we'll be covering that year, uh, what happened as far as you know the the, the wrestling aspects of it, uh, and then we'll also be covering their entries, or their big entries into the film friend, their big entries into the film industry that year. Of course, The Rock's being Fast Five, and John Cena had not quite yet uh, become a, a Hollywood sensation. He had a movie called The Reunion, made by WWE Studios. So, uh, and also on that episode, uh, we'll do a full retrospective on WWE Studios and. The movies they made, the 
absolute a-listers they swindled into taking paychecks from them and uh, <laughs> all that came from it so that's what can be expected in part two sounds sounds like a good time what else do we have coming up in january uh well the the usual uh, stuff that we have every month cutting room floor stuff our pre-recording notes and of course contrarians after hours Uh, which for this episode, it's actually a very focused Contrarians After Hours, just like we did for Halloween Kills. Uh, this time we're doing it for PTA's latest movie, Licorice Pizza. Alex and I went, and we braved the pandemic, and we watched this in, uh, I was going to say, extravagant 70 millimeter. <laughs> and, uh, and then we didn't really talk much about it until we got in front of our microphones. So that that is in Contrarians After Hours. Uh, a discussion, a conversation about licorice pizza and uh, what we thought of it. And then our exclusive bonus episode for patrons is on the movie Jawbreaker, as requested slash demanded by patron Ryan. <laughs> uh, Jawbreaker, which I've never seen, and Alex saw it a long time ago, but doesn't own it. He just found out that he doesn't own it. <laughs> no, you knew that you didn't own it. Yeah, I was about to say, no, you just found out I didn't own it. But it's a Judy Greer movie, so I might have to in the end. Kind of have to own it. So all that good stuff, uh, some of that has to appeal to you. Uh, if you want more information, go to patreon.com slash contrarianprime where you can see the, the tiers that we have, the multiple rewards, and you can decide if you want to join the Contrarian Supplements and contribute to the cost, like our latest patron, one Jordan Mans, who has joined uh, the Contrarian Supplements family and... Uh, will be uh, giving us his picks for quick movie reviews and for uh, Patreon-exclusive episodes pretty soon. Uh, welcome, Jordan. A pleasure to have you. Jordan, back to the scene of the crime. Former guest on here. He joined us for Passengers, which is, for no good reason, one of the more fascinating movies we've ever discussed on here. <laughs> but you can be just like Jordan. $1, $3, $5, $10. We have our tiers. And like Julio said, what he laid out there, that is a... A vast cavern of subjects covered. So if there's something on there that sounds good to you, which there should be, you should check it out. And more importantly, if you're listening so far to this episode about the goddamn Happy Time murders, it means there's something we're doing that you enjoy. <laughs> so head on over to our Patreon. If there's not something there that you want to see or hear, tell us. That's what the patron's for. Our current patrons, we do love y'all. We appreciate that you take your hard-earned money and throw it our way. And we we hope that we fulfill what you want. And we know that we do because you continue to come back to us every month. And those of y'all listening, you can do the same. But fear not. You do not have to pay to hear our concluding thoughts on the Happy Time murders. Nope. <laughs> it's free of charge. <laughs> This one's on the house. This is <laughs> Julio. Why doesn't this movie have a worst of all time legacy? I don't think it's like one of the worst movies ever made, but you'd think that all of the parts of this coming together would have the Howard the Duck, the Geely, uh, the Showgirls style worst movie ever made stigma about it. Why did this fall through the cracks? Are you saying this is like the Avatar of puppet movies? <laughs> well, as we discussed, Avatar is not bad. It's just simple. No cultural impact, though. That's what you said. Uh, I guess you might be right about that. There was definitely no impact. I guess it's a, it didn't. 
it didn't bomb hard enough, nor did it make a big enough impact for anyone to really care about it, I guess. And I read some reviews. There were people that thought, like, defended it. And there are aspects of it that deserve defending. And we'll get to that here in just a minute. But, yeah, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, yes. I I think that there's also a chance that the Hanson name kind of gave it uh, some protection. You know, nobody wants to talk shit about Brian Henson. Yeah. So I imagine that people, even if the industry as a whole acknowledged it as a, as a failed experiment, they might have decided uh, subconsciously that they're not going to kick a Henson when he's down. It's like it's the son of the guy that gave us the Muppets. So how about we just look the other way? <laughs> so why don't you son of a bitches just keep your mouth shut? Yeah, let's just pretend it didn't happen. Let's move on. Let's give him a warning, a stern talking to, and tell him that uh, we'll let this pass if he doesn't do it ever again. Do you think part of it, too, is like the the, um, the small town thing of like, I knew your dad. Your dad was a good man, and he would be disappointed <laughs> if he saw what you were doing today. So I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be the one to lecture you about this. Yes, but if you do it again. You will force my hand. <laughs> you do this shit again. You know, I, I don't want to have to have this talk with you again. <laughs> All right. So the Happy Time Murders, as mentioned, August 24th, 2018. You would think this movie has January written all over it. as <laughs> With a budget of estimated between 40 and $50 million, had less than a $28 million box office return. As I mentioned, Melissa McCarthy was paid... It says between ten and seventeen million. I'm fine with just ballparking that and saying fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, don't you think it would have a better shot not being a summer movie if they tried to do it like a January thing? Or well, like it depends. A it depends on what the what the competition was. Maybe they thought they'd found the perfect summer slot. All right. So according to MoviePhone.com, its competition, the After Party AXL, what keeps you alive. Destination Wedding, The Bookshop, Searching. Yeah, it didn't really look like anything else was really going on. Destination Wedding. This That's is a movie with Keanu Reeves. and went on uh, a writer. Yeah. I've seen it. Any good? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really bad. Uh, Papillion with Charlie Hoonham and Rami Malek. <laughs> Sounds like a winner. Well, whatever the case, it still happened. <laughs> we can second guess it all we want it's still open in august <laughs> and we're paying for it to this day all right so let's get the the positive quotes out of the way because i feel you know was it 23 percent? there were still some people that enjoyed it so who liked this julio and why did they like it all right uh some some fresh quotes now from run tomatoes starting with bob chipman from geek who says, it's refreshing to once again see a lowbrow comedy that can simply be lowbrow without declaring itself a hero just for existing. Uh, I mean, I think I get what he's saying, that some movies just want to be raunchy and want it to just be, that be the reason why you should go watch them. And there's mm-hmm. more to this movie than that. I mean, maybe. I think the puppets are the main attraction there. Uh, Zoe Margolis from Cineview says, where the Happy Time Murders excels is in its humor, because it's very, very funny. But more than that, it's filthy. 
utterly, gloriously, unapologetically, deeply, darkly, sexually filthy. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing, no lie there. <laughs> it is unapologetically filthy. Uh, Pamela Powell from the Daily Journal, Kankakee, Illinois, says, Is it great cinema that we will hear about during Oscar season? Absolutely not. Is it fun? Embarrassingly so? Yes. It pushes the envelope and a few buttons, but that's exactly what it promised to do. Can you imagine if uh, we had heard about this one during Oscar season? For your consideration. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> her Oscar clip. Just her snorting sugar. Yeah, there's really no scene where she gets emotional, so it'd have to be something where she's like, you know, method acting in some aspect. <laughs> Um, finally, Dave Holmes from Esquire magazine says it is both relentless and dull, simultaneously desperate and delighted with itself. It is exactly what we deserve, and it's awful. Is the happy time murders what we deserved? Uh, if the year was 1995, maybe that's <laughs> the whole time I was watching this movie. I was like, this is just so okay. All right, first and foremost. You can only get, you can only be the first movie to have a puppet sex scene once. <laughs> Trey Parker and Matt Stone beat them to it. Okay, so Was, allegedly, allegedly, because I haven't seen this, but I think it might be Peter Jackson. Somebody is credited with a puppet movie that's even filthier than this one. It might be Peter Jackson. So meet okay. the feebles. Let's see. But I think to the point you're making, I mean, it's. If that existed and that happened, it was so long ago and it didn't catch on that you might as well be starting from scratch when you when you do Team America. Yes, I, I worded that incorrectly. I should say you can only there can only be one memorable puppet sex scene, really, like in the <laughs> in the comedic sense. I don't know how you'd ever pull that off in an artsy dramatic sense, but you know, <laughs> Brian Henson, there's your next challenge. <laughs> So I, I think the movie uh Anomalisa, the uh Charlie Kaufman movie, mm-hmm. I think there's a sex scene there. And that's a drama. And, and it's puppets. It's like uh stop motion, I think. It's not puppets, okay. It's it's stop motion. Some, but some still. streaming service I'm on uh keeps trying to get me to watch fucking Sindoche New York and I'm like, Nope. <laughs> Did it once. Not interested again. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I guess there could be ten thousand comedies that try to do the raunchy puppet sex scene but to me that that was just an immediate problem with this was obviously the movie built to that and it was kind of teasing that and you knew like oh it's going to be funny when these puppets have sex and it's like i've seen this done before so for the movie to i i don't know if you feel the same way to me it seemed like a lot of the movie hinged on the build to that and it was i've already seen that before so when it happened it wasn't particularly funny to me um, no, I, I had a different experience. I, I think it's one of the funniest things in the movie. <laughs> and oh. I, I, I like the, the scene in, uh, Team America, but I think that the, I'm having trouble finding the words to explain like why it's so, why they're so different. Like the one in, in, in Team America, it's funny. It's funny. Be, like what makes that one funny is because it goes on for so long. It just right. keeps like going and going and going. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, you know, the way they, they flip each other and all that stuff. But 
I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I w- it's been a while since I watched Team America. I don't remember how well that integrates with the rest of the story. I mean, I guess it's a as a parody of an American action movie, I think it makes sense, I guess, that you know, you would have the sex scene at some point <laughs> between the, the yeah. main character and the hot woman. And yeah, it, it works in its own way. But the in the end, those are yes, they're puppets, but they're humans. And I think that there's an extra level of absurdity in the Happy Time Murders because they're two puppets and the <laughs> Just you know, when Phil finally climaxes, and so he's just spraying his entire office with I don't know what silly string, silly string, you know, and it's just like all over. And Maya Rudolph already, I mean, obviously this has happened before, so she's ready. She just pulls up the paper towels and the the Windex or whatever. <laughs> she's very matter of fact about it. And uh, Joe McHale bursts into the office and the silly string just falls on his shoulder. And it's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The, the entire thing just works for me. Uh, you know, you could have had something similar happen in, in uh, Team America, for example. And uh, I guess, you know, it would still be funny if you had, you know, the the main character suddenly having an orgasm for like five minutes or whatever. Like, like it looks like Phil is having here. And I would have laughed, but I think that it's, I don't know. The fact that it's a puppet just makes it funny uh, or makes it funnier. And I remember laughing the first time I watched it. And I last night I laughed again when it was happening because <laughs> I don't know. It's just so out there. And I don't think. You're a uh, sick man, Julio. I didn't say that I, I was turned on. <laughs> it's just, it was funny. <laughs> uh, and, but I also, I don't think that that's what the movie was building to. I mean, mm-hmm. it's. I, I think that you you expect it, but I think that the movie is doing a lot of other things, and then this happens, and it kind of retroactively becomes a centerpiece. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, everything we've seen and everything we're going to see probably doesn't match the level of craziness of insanity of this one sequence. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I still, I, I found it pretty funny, but I, I was pretty engaged with the. Uh, this sort of warped take on on noir. I don't know how, how did you feel that way? Did you how did you enjoy the actual story as far as the mystery? Uh it was okay. It, like I I don't know. I don't know how much I could separate it from the the whole gimmick is the idea of seeing like puppets do gross shit <laughs> or you know be crass or something. And see that is like definitive just juvenile humor to me that it doesn't really do anything for me now at 34 going on 35 and so like i said there were a couple jokes in this that really worked for me none of them had to do with puppets saying or doing gross things and that's kind of you said the noir but it's just kind of like these push pins that are meant to hold up just these posters for just gross lewd shit and so, like, I, I, at no point could, could I really feel like I, I could get swept up by the story of the movie. I just kind of had to find – I had to just take my victories where I could. Find things to be funny or or things like how hot Maya Rudolph is, like, just to kind of, you know, keep my interest afloat. The the first scene – we talked about this in Contrarian's Corner. The first scene where he goes to the porn shop and it's like they're shooting that porn of, like, this cow squirting and stuff. I was like, okay, this is clearly – this is setting the stage for what this movie is going to be, and this does absolutely nothing for me. I did mark out 
for every scene that involves Stanley. That made me happy seeing that. But <laughs> I guess, no, I, I do like crime dramas and mysteries and shit like that. But in this, it was just, it was not strong enough to combat the stuff I didn't like. So so the the thing with the cow, it did make you laugh? It just grossed you out, but it did make you laugh? Maybe like uncomfortably at first, but... It, <laughs> Okay, I take that back. It did make me laugh at the end when he's it goes into slow motion before he takes the shot at Sandra and it like recounts <laughs> all the events of what's led up to this in his head and the last one is that cow squirting. That I thought that was it was funny because it was one of those things of like <laughs> the joke that's not funny to begin with, but you just say you do it over and over again and then it eventually becomes funny. Uh, <laughs> how about when he's uh he keeps walking down the the hall in that porn shop and there's that that room where uh there's a human being sodomized by a dog oh that's the the theater like that's where because he walks past the projector that that's playing and uh i i guess i don't know man like this is the type this 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 frustrates me because we've done movies before i'm like don't you think this is funny and you're like nope <laughs> <laughs> and then you know this comes up and you're like oh yeah the the puppet doing sex stuff it's really funny like ready ready to rumble i'm like it's fucking hilarious like this Jesus is the dumbest Christ. shit <laughs> come on now are you telling me ready to rumble is funnier than this movie yes oh wow <laughs> i'm also telling you okay so like goon is funnier than this movie well that that i would expect from you because you, oh, you you have a soft spot you. for that movie. You have a soft spot for that movie. So that's but what ready a to rumble thing to say. I would expect that from you. <laughs> no, ready ready rumble's unfair because that's also like a sentimental attachment to it. So I, I got to think of something else we've done. The Hangover Three. You think that movie's funnier than I think, dude? That was also one that I did, but then that last watching, I was like, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> like when I was trying to watch it through an analytical lens and not just kind of like letting it happen to me, I was like, yeah, this is not good. So, uh, well, Melissa McCarthy, there's the common, <laughs> the common thread between those. Um, but you know, I said like, okay, so like Howard the Duck is funnier than this. Well, yes, but it's also a better movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a much better movie, but I'm just saying like, that's also one we've championed. And if you're, for whatever reason, if this is your first episode of The Contrarians, Julio and I discovering Howard the Duck and realizing it's not one of the worst movies ever made has become a blessing and a curse on here because some people think we're <laughs> insane for it. Okay, Happy Time Murders. I'm going to hold on to this. The next time you act like you're above something from a comedy <laughs> level, I'm, I'm, I'm going to remind you of you talking about how funny The Happy Time Murders is. Oh, dude, patrons have heard me talk about Movie 43. It's a movie that I actually thought was fairly funny. Well, that's a little bit different in that it's comprised of A-listers and is more of like an experiment than just... And it's not the same joke over and over again, which that this movie is. Uh, something that helps me, I think, appreciate it more... And, and which makes it funnier is that I actually enjoyed the world that they've created. Like, I don't think that this was just, I mean, yes, the way that you sell it, it's like, oh, it's the R-rated puppet movie. But I think that what really makes it memorable, or at least what makes it all stick together, is that that world that they've created. And I really like the idea of, oh, well, puppets exist, 
and they're this oppressed minority and uh they found ways of coping with, with this you know some of them just try to assimilate into uh human society some of them just can't break away from their their yes uh, the germ of that idea is very interesting i agree with that but they do a lot with it i mean it's sprinkled throughout the entire movie uh you know when it, it's just they come at it from the point of a, of a police investigation and from the point of like, oh, well, how over the top are we? can we go with the gags, with the visual gags? But uh, I think that they exploited, they, they made a movie, and I, I think that's ultimately like the main thing I appreciate about this, is that they made a movie that could only be told with puppets, uh, you know, because of the the story that they set up and because of the, the gags that they made. Like, for example, when they fish... What's his name out of the ocean? What's his name? Fluger? Uh, Goofer. Goofer. They they fish. Goofer has, you know, they find him on the beach. And then they're like, look away, because this is pretty gross. And then they just like twist him ring around. Him out. They ring him out. That's pretty funny. And that is just something that's a visual gag that only works if you're making a movie with puppets. And, and the puppet says established in this world where you have the you know the hardened cops that are like oh my god this shit and you know and and the other puppets looking horrified and it so i it's all inconsequential though because it, it just seems like that they went out of their way to make this interesting idea that just is a means to bridge poop jokes in between one another See, I, I that's that's where we disagree, really, because ultimately, I think that whether you or I find something funny, in the end, we can just be like, okay, well, humor is subjective in the end, right? And so that's why Chaz thinks that American Hustle is funny, and we don't. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, uh. as far as what they do with the world building in this movie and what how they utilize it and how they use it. I mean, yes, I, I agree. It's it's there to take you from one gross-out uh, set piece to another gross-out set piece. But I never felt it was repetitive. I felt that there was always a story that was that they were telling and something that they were trying to, as stupid and silly as it may sound like, they were still trying to kind of say something about uh, prejudice and, you know, not to any deep levels, but I, yeah. I I felt that there was more to it than just like, okay, well, how can we gross you out again? Like, honestly, uh, just to go to a more recent episode, I think that Dead Alive, for example, is a movie that's also trying to be funny and it's also trying to just see how far it can go, how, how much it can get away with as far as uh, yeah. grossing you out. But there's nothing else around it. Whereas like this movie... It, the the filmmakers here, Brian Hansen and his team, they actually took the time to create a world and set up interesting conflicts, and it just I I just buy it, you know. And I could I, I wasn't kidding because Red Corner, I would have liked to see this movie do well enough to have another one, because really, yeah, because especially because you couldn't do like if he did a, a, a sequel to Happy Time Murders, that was that was just okay. Well, now I'm gonna gross you out again. In my opinion, he he wouldn't be able to get away with the same jokes. You know, you can't have Phil, you know, have another crazy sex scene where he ends up ejaculating all over his office. Like, you did that one on the first one. So now you're going to have to come up with something else. And the world that he's created seems rich enough that he could have other interesting adventures. And I'm I'm sounding really positive in this movie, but that's just only because I'm, I just realized I'm just defending it. But there's there's plenty wrong with it. <laughs> 
but I, I think that I appreciate that aspect for sure uh, more than you do. Yeah, it sounds like you appreciate a lot more about this than I do. Um, That's right. You you appreciate Maya Rudolph, so you know there's that. Oh yeah. All jokes aside, she's I've always found Maya Rudolph attractive, but she's definitely checking some boxes in this one. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, so. The part with Elizabeth Banks blowing up in the car was really funny. I was talking about that in Contrarian's Corner. You know what I mean about like the timing of it, how he's mm-hmm. doing the voiceover. But it was like immediately the car blew up. There was no time to even <laughs> ruminate on it. That that was really good. Uh, the Stevie Ray Vaughan joke is incredible. Like it's why I will give the movie as high of a rating as I do. That joke was phenomenal. Uh, and the payoff, too, because he had his sunglasses on. He's like, put the gun down. And she had it down for like 30 seconds. And he took his glasses <laughs> off. Oh, okay. Go arrest, arrest him. him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the call me maybe joke I referenced was good. It, it's just, this is such a mid-90s thing. Like, this movie, like the fact that this movie came out in the past five years does not seem right. Like, it seems <laughs> like this was... Something that would have come out to capitalize on the Beavis and Butthead wave of cartoons and, you know, things that are thought to be childish can be presented. And I'm not, I need to make this clear. I don't think Beavis and Butthead invented that. But the mid-90s obsessed with the idea of cartoons being vulgar and things that are thought to be for children being used to do like this anti-establishment type shit. And I know that's not necessarily the goal of this movie. It's just to be a a comedy at the same time. It just does not at all fit with the modern era of film. And I know for a fact that part of that is if Brian Henson had made this while his dad was alive, he would have disowned him type thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you think so? I, obviously, I'm being a bit melodramatic at the same time. The Muppets Take Manhattan. We just did that quote from Jim Henson where he talked about he had no interest in ever making a film that wasn't G. And yeah, that probably wouldn't be f- <laughs> be fun to see like a, a legacy of something you've created to go to this point. The the good news is it didn't, like we said, make nearly enough impact for people to, I'm sure there are people that hate it and resent it, but it didn't damage anything. It just kind of, but it wouldn't, even if it had been like a hit, he didn't make this movie with Muppets. You know, I think that in, even, I don't know if you noticed like the, when the production logos, the production company logos were, you know, cycling at the beginning. I think the first one is called Henson Alternative. Like yeah. Henson Alternative, like, okay, <laughs> just so you know, this is a, a separate universe. This has nothing to do with Kermit and Piggy and Fuzzy. Now, if if somebody made an R-rated, raunchy movie with those characters, I would take that as, you know, okay, you're crossing a line. But Brian Henson strikes me as somebody that loves the art of puppeteering loves telling stories with muppets clearly cuz like I, one of the biggest positives i can't say about this is they put in the work mm-hmm. for the practical effects and um making it a, a full puppet movie no cg bullshit so i i do appreciate and respect that so if you're someone like that that that, that if that's your field 
then I could totally see how it makes sense that you would like to expand it and be like, all right, what else can I do with this? And how how far can I push the envelope? And uh, I'm guessing that he likes R-rated comedies and he likes cop movies. I'm like, all right, let's see what I can do with my with my talents in this genre. I mean, I don't know. So you, you're saying you think it bombed just because it was it just it was too late. I think that's a big part of it. I think the hunger or any sort of desire to have something like this came way before this movie came out. And then and the idea of like, so the Muppets in 2011 way overperformed. So the idea that like then was the time to strike with the idea of like, oh, well, you know, in this age of CG, we'll make a movie with these puppets that is super raunchy. It's just, it's mind boggling to me. <laughs> and I, I can understand why. Who is the studio that released this? STX Films? STX Entertainment distributed it. The idea is we got Brian Henson at the helm and Melissa McCarthy. We might be able to make something of this, but yeah, my thought is exactly what you said. To take the scenic route to answer your question, it just was way too late for this type of thing to be at all interesting. You know, Beavis and Butthead, South Park, and as we mentioned, Team America, these properties and franchises and singular movies that came along that had already done this, and Team America would have been like almost 15 years before this. So it's just there was no market for this when this came out. That's kind of when I remember seeing it, I was like, huh. And I think I remember you telling me about it when you screened it. Mm-hmm. We might have even talked about it on here years ago. But it just, to me, it never made sense. And it still doesn't. The reason I keep bringing up Howard the Duck is it's kind of similar of like this approach to taking something that you would think is kids and kind of giving an adult spin that movie was made in 86 when that was like an interesting novelty and there was still an interest factor in that. Like I, I just can't, I cannot envision someone watching the trailer for this movie or seeing a TV spot for it and thinking like, Oh, finally, <laughs> like it just, they committed to what they did and that's respectable. But yeah, at no point in this did I think this was good or I wasn't just more, my mind wasn't preoccupied with wondering, like, why did they think now this was a good idea? You know, as so I was hearing you talk about, like, other places that got there first. But the, the thing is that that doesn't, that isn't necessarily enough to stop a trend or a franchise from happening. No. It's it's not like, that's not the, you know. You can just only because- see, like, a cartoon or a puppet jack off once, though. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> Right, but... The Hangover, Matrix, perfect example. Matrix spawned a bunch of awesome movies that were like Matrix clones. The Hangover spawned Hangover clones that were better than The Hangover, like Bachelorette and the Hot Tub Time Machine. Mm-hmm. It's, But what the problem is, is you're talking about, you're not talking about like a group of friends getting drunk and something crazy happening over one night. You're talking about the idea of seeing something. It's like a little kid swearing. <laughs> you know, you can only you can't put that in every movie. It's funny maybe once, but that doesn't mean it's going to work over and over again. There's something yeah, niche but, like this. Okay, sorry, go ahead. I keep cutting you off. Well, no, but 
but I think that reducing the the happy time murders to like oh you get to see a a puppet ejaculating. I mean, there's because what I would say is is there a market for puppet movies in general that are not Muppet movies? I thought you were say for puppets ejaculating. <laughs> I'm sure there is. It's just not mainstream. But as far as puppets, you know, like the Muppets on their own, they're they're their own genre. So that's that's a separate conversation. But so you have Team America, right? And then but somehow that doesn't spawn, you know, a series of Team America imitators as far as like, oh, we're going to do our own puppet movie. And I, I think kind of like I said in Contrast Corner, I think that's because part of the joke in Team America is that it's puppets. That's supposed mm-hmm. to be funny. Even though they look great and everything, it's like, ah, ha, ha. But the joke is that it's it's puppets. Like, whereas unsurprisingly, the son of Jim Henson takes the puppeteering part of it very seriously. And he actually made like a real movie with, you know, the puppets and the, the he he seems pretty proud of his what he's accomplishing uh, in the on the puppetry side, and so why do we not see more movies along those lines? They don't have to be raunchy, <laughs> but is it just a lost art? Can we not see it past Muppets? And even then, you know, the Muppets have had their times so where they've struggled. But why don't we have a a puppet superhero movie or? A puppet horror movie. I don't know. Like it, it, it seems to me like there's uh, once you start. It is breaking a lost them, art. Yeah, but is it truly lost? Then is that what you're saying? <laughs> you know, I just, I guess, I just have a hard time believing that the Happy Time Murders didn't succeed just because people were like, "Oh, I've already seen puppets having sex." <laughs> That's there's no way that I can get any more out of this. Well, and it's not something I'm. I don't <laughs> envy or relish telling you this but you know <laughs> muppets most wanted made less than half of what the muppets did mm-hmm. and i think the muppets the 2011 one in addition to just being an absolutely flawless movie and perfect for what it was was a very temporary moment of nostalgia and i think that showed when muppets most wanted came out and was a continuation of that movie, but did half the numbers and just failed to recapture what that did. And I think what the Muppets in 2011 was able to do was capitalize on nostalgia, being good, and just had the intangible. It was also, I think, a Thanksgiving weekend movie. So that that doesn't hurt. But what I'm trying to say is, there's a reason there were no Muppets movies for like fucking 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then this one came out and did huge. And then the next one did very well for itself, made more money than I will ever see in my life, but did less than half of what the predecessor did. And this movie being the bomb that it was, it's just this to your point, people don't really care about that anymore. It takes a completely different set of skills and in some aspects, way more refined skills to pull off what we watch today with the Happy Time Murders than it does, dare I say, with Avatar. Uh, <laughs> but people don't give a shit. Phil and Phillips people, uh, emotes more than Sam Worthington. Well, you know what I'm trying to say with that. That's actually one of the one of the best. Um, one of the great jokes that I didn't give the proper respect to in Contrarian's Corner is the part where. 
uh, Phillips and Edwards are on opposite ends of this building and, you know, they're trying to whisper to each other and she's like, I can't read your lips. Your mouth's just going up and down. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's the effort level that went into this movie. I don't think is properly reflected on screen because all the jokes seem like really cheap and ah, look at us type shit. The point I was trying to make with bringing up the Muppets is I get what you're saying in that this thing that Henson created should have branched off and spawned all types of genres. And I, know, and I don't mean that with like the Muppets. I mean, just the idea of like these live action puppets with real people working them should have spawned comedies, action movies, superhero movies, you know, romantic movies. They just didn't because they got pigeonholed into the role of like, here's the Muppets. And nothing else can do this. And the the height of that was fucking 30 years before this movie came out. And so that's where my opinion comes from of like why this didn't do well is because no one fucking cared. Again, it made $25 million. I'll give, I'll take it. But <laughs> I think I can meet you halfway in saying that I respect the effort that was made. I don't think, I think you think it's funnier than I do. I think that's clear, but yeah, that definitely makes me like it more because I find it funny. I just don't see how it, this was ever thought to have been a winning recipe for a film to be released in 2018. And we're talking again, seven years after the Muppets came out and then five years, five or four years after Muppets most wanted. So they could have already seen the decline in the interest and it's just yeah i don't understand how someone thought this was gonna do it um didn't hurt melissa mccarthy's career though despite the fact that as i mentioned she was nominated for the alliance of women film journalists actress most in need of a new agent and worst actress at the golden raspberries the film itself was nominated by the st louis film critics association and houston film critics society for worst film and then again at the Golden Raspberries, worst picture, worst director, worst supporting actor with Joel McHale, which is ridiculous because he's in the movie for five minutes. <laughs> All that is an overreaction, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Worst screen combo for any two actors or puppets, which, again, I disagree with, and worst screenplay. Uh, this was the year that uh, Holmes and Watson dominated. <laughs> All right, so somebody, you know, next year, Brian Hansen releases uh, a high school comedy that's just all puppets. Would you go see it? It's not going to work. It it doesn't matter if it's if you think that it's going to do well at the box office or not. Like you, as a person, would you be interested in seeing it? Oh, I, I yeah. What we've done so far with the Muppethon has definitely instilled him even more so how much this shit means to me and how important the Muppets and you know it's loosely associated family is with me and I would want to support something that did actually put in the work to do something so that's what I was talking about the credits with this when they showed like how much work went into it like I I did not like the movie but I was watching the credits I was like man I I, I wish I could give this money now just because I know how much work <laughs> they put into it and you know effort but it's yeah, I mean, I'm sure you and I would go see it, but like I said, it's just it's not in the cards anymore. 
we lost the war. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let Brian Henson hear you. I'm sure yeah. he's still fighting the good fight. Uh, I would go too. I would want to watch anything that he makes next because I think that what Happy Time Murders proved to me more so than, I guess, the only other thing I've seen from him, which is Muppet Christmas Carol, was that there is an interest uh, that he has in kind of exploring the, you know, the continuing the, the legacy in his own way. Well, yeah, but also just the idea of like, okay, humans and puppets, and how do I use this as a storytelling device? You were pointing out that the joke about uh, Melissa McCarthy not being able to read uh, Phil's lips because he's a puppet, and that is something that only works if Phil's a puppet. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of that in in Happy Time Murders, and I think that there will be a lot of that in whatever movie he decides to make next, if he ever does. You know, just this idea of like, okay, there's going to be a, a movie starring puppets, but it's not going to be a movie that could have just been made with humans and there would be no difference. Other than the amount of skill that I need to, you know, make the puppets move and make them believable and everything. So for somebody to make a movie that's unique, uniquely suited to be told with puppets as the characters that i find really interesting and this movie does that on some level i don't think that the humor lands i think it's like a 50 50 on the jokes and i uh i think that the the mystery itself is pretty standard like it's not like the plot is great i think the flashback the story of uh what happened to melissa mccarthy and how she ended up with a with a puppet liver i think that part is really good but the the rest of the the story is just you know it's it's just pretty basic. But still, you know, there's there's that germ of of promise of Brian Henson wanting to do something, not just with the legacy of his dad, but you know the just that art form that the the Henson last name has become associated with. Did want to mention this because one of the things I do remember about the initial release of the film was the tagline, which was "No Sesame All Street." <laughs> Sesame Workshop sued the team behind the film for the tagline, No Sesame, All Street, claiming that the film tarnished its reputation. The suit was rejected on May 30th, 2018. Soon after, STX issued a brief statement. We fluffing love Sesame Street, and we're obviously very pleased that the ruling reinforced what STX's intentions was from the very beginning to honor the heritage of the Jim Henson Company's previous award-winning creations while drawing a clear distinction between any Muppets or Sesame Street characters and the new world Brian Henson and team created. We believe we accomplished that with a very straightforward No Sesame All Street tagline. We look forward to continued happy times as we prepare to release Happy Time Murders this summer. Some TV spots for the film started with from the studio that was sued by Sesame Street. <laughs> that kind of bums me out that they thought they were going to create a universe and obviously yeah. it didn't work. But um, I don't know. I guess he thought this was going to be potentially his way to make his legacy. I like I, I was talking about Jim Henson earlier, not allowing this to happen or whatnot. I, we just know what he liked and maybe his son just, I don't know what that's like, dude. I don't know what it's like to be fucking Jim Henson's son. I don't know what it's like to be, you know, the son of someone who changed a medium or, you know, has a legacy around the world that will be f remembered for as long as there's documentation. 
So am I going to fault Brian Henson for wanting to try to do his own thing? Fuck no. I'll just say that, like, in my opinion, it was too late for what he was trying to do, and the movie itself didn't work. But this is not a movie that, you know, I, I jested about it being in contention for the worst movie ever, or why it's not mentioned, because <laughs> this seems like the type of thing that critics would latch on to and constantly want to put down. And in a sense, kind of glad it's not. Because it doesn't deserve that at all. It's just a swing and a miss. But there was good intention behind this. And the effort was put in. It just didn't work for me. And it obviously didn't work for the mainstream audiences. Sounds like it worked for you, though. I mean, probably not as much as uh, Brian Henson would have wanted it to. But <laughs> but it's still... You didn't make up for that $30 million. No. <laughs> I went to see it once, and uh, I didn't pay for it. I got paid to watch it. <laughs> so. so in closing, we briefly mentioned Melissa McCarthy and how this is not any real stray off the beaten path for her. I do feel that some of the criticism we've read so far and like those awards and stuff is a bit cruel because she, she does what is asked of her very enthusiastically and gives it her whole effort. Dude, one of the things I laughed at that I couldn't really find a way to spin into Contrarian's Corner is when her and Maya Rudolph are in the apartment and Maya Rudolph's been like picking locks and mm-hmm. they get to that lo- that door that's locked and <laughs> she's like, no, I've got this and just like gives it this real shitty kick and, you know, it <laughs> it doesn't break the door down. She's like, I think I I broke my hymen or she says something <laughs> like that. It's... <laughs> And I, you're not typically one for like that really obvious, obnoxious type of comedic character, but did you find her funny in this? Yeah, no, I actually find her funny than the average Melissa McCarthy performance. You know, when when it's leading into that persona, she's a she's pretty funny in Spy. Now that we're in real talk, it's a it's a very different uh, character in Spy. You know, it's more toned down. But uh, yeah, like in something like the the Heat. For example, you know, she plays the loud, obnoxious cop and because uh, it's supposed to contrast with uh, Sandra Bullock's character. And uh, I don't find her funny there. But here, I think that it's just, it just works with the environment. So I, actually, she made me laugh a lot in, in, in this movie. You know, her, her hit ratio was, was pretty decent. So I turned it around here at the end and had some positive things to say about it. But uh, I don't think that's going to be reflected in my grading of it i gave it two stars on uh letterbox which equates to either c minus or a d i'm trying to decide how generous i'm feeling right now i i I think i'm gonna go with a d it's it's not particularly good and something i have interest in watching again had a couple of really really hearty laughs in it uh but in the end you're you're just too good for a puppet jizz oh yep that's it It just it missed the mark for me, uh, so I'm gonna go with a a D. I, I'll give it a D plus because of the, <laughs> which is a real thing. That's how I graduated college, just like Tommy Boy. Um, so Julio, where do you fall on the scale? Uh, I checked just a few minutes ago when I the first time I watched it, I gave it three stars, and uh, 
I actually, I think I enjoyed it more last night when I was watching it. Cause I, <laughs> I, I, well, I just, it was one of the things that the first time I watched it, I wasn't sure what to, what it was in for. And it felt like it wasn't raunchy enough to win me over that way. But it also like the, the detective part of it wasn't smart enough to win me over that way. Watching it last night, I, I, I had a better idea what it was in for. And I kind of just sat back and enjoyed the way that they made everything happen. So I'm going to give it an extra half a star. Uh, so I'm going to go with three and a half. Good God. Can't deny how much I laughed. Same reason I, I was positive on movie 43. That's what I gave Magnolia on Letterboxd this week. Was three now, and a half stars. that is 100% your problem. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. Patrons, give us a few months. We'll get to it. Yeah. The, the massive PTA retrospective. Which will also include an analysis of uh, how much screen time Maya Rudolph gets in his movies. <laughs> to the second. To We're going to break second. it down. All right, Julio. The Muppethon rages on. We have one last stop. What is next? Uh, before we get to said last stop, which will be Muppets Most Wanted, we have another bonus episode that has nothing to do with Muppets. We need a break before the big Muppethon finale. And that break is coming courtesy of uh, patrons Katie and O.T., uh, who are giving us the movie The Guard, starring Don Cheadle and Brendan Gleeson. Like we established, I think, a couple episodes ago, we know nothing about this movie. <laughs> no, going in background blind, as background they blind. say. I just know it's fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So before the Muppethon is concluded, we have the guard, courtesy of one of our wonderful patrons. So that's what you have to look forward to next. Julio, as we move into perennial plugs, I want to give a thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the cool graphics that you see on our webpage, our merch page, our patron page, any page we have, uh, our merch, all the logos on our t-shirts and backpacks and pillows. That's that's all from the mind of Hans, uh, who on top of being uh, an artist, he's also a podcaster, he is a Two shows, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. And he also writes. He's a novelist. He has a bunch of books, fantasy books, zombie books. Uh, you can check all his work on his webpage, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. Or you can just reach out on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. Hans, thank you for all your support. And thank you to Ms. Zoe Perez for her support as well. Zoe is our social media guru. If you haven't already, on Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime, give us a like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is they're doing these days. We have some exclusive videos that Zoe helps put together for us where we preview, discuss upcoming movies or movies that we recently tackled. Uh, on our Instagram account, if you have Instagram, at Contrarian Prime, Zoe will post audio clips, video clips, interactive graphics, just some stuff that generally Julio and I are too old to figure out how to do. So, Zoe, we appreciate the effort that you put in for us and the work that you do to help get out the Contrarian's name. And with all that said, that's going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. I can't go on.